0: My name is Sally Rock. I'm a volunteer with King's Cross Kids. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Josh, as Andy said, I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, So far this year, if you've been with us, we have been going through a year-long series called The Story, and I don't know if you've been counting. I counted a couple of days ago, and we have spent 36 weeks walking through the Old Testament, and now we are on the second week of the New Testament. And I don't know about how you felt last Sunday, which was the first week in the New Testament, but I was real excited. Uh, Thursday night, I was speaking with my cousin who lives in Atlanta, and she told me that right now, she's reading through the Bible, and she talked about uh, reading through Leviticus, which is a book about the Old Testament sacrificial system and the killing of animals for the atonement of sins, and she said it was a pretty difficult read. And I said, you're telling me. I said, I know. And I said, not only that, but just imagine how hard it was to actually live out the book of Leviticus back then. Uh, So I started thinking about that. I believe that it was hard to live out and hard to read now, in part, to lead us to be very thankful for Jesus, That's one of the reasons I'm just so excited about starting the New Testament. To be very thankful for Jesus, who as Chip uh, quoted John uh, the Baptist last week in John 1.29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is who the entire Old Testament is looking forward to, and now we are here. So last week we were in the book of John, and this week we're in the book of Matthew. Now when you think of the first four books of the Bible, Uh, you have the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, which basically follow the same uh, timeline and uh, structure. And then you have the book of John, which, of course, tells the same story, but it speeds up and slows down at different parts of the story, speaking of Jesus, to emphasize certain parts. So last week we saw John, and Chip said that he uh, came out swinging, showing that Jesus was the life and the light and the Lamb of God and the Son of God and the Messiah and the promised one. And then Matthew four picks up where John one leaves off. After Jesus was baptized, he was tempted by Satan, and then he comes out of the desert and he starts calling some of his disciples. And then we get to Matthew chapter five through seven, and that's where we're going to camp out this morning where Jesus, not me, I don't know if you've already seen the top of your bulletin, preaches the greatest sermon ever preached. I'm sure you walked in saying, man, I thought Josh was somewhat maybe of a humble guy, but maybe things have changed, Uh, or he's really excited about this sermon. No, I'm just really excited about Jesus, and I'm really excited about the sermon that he preached 2,000 years ago, and I just get to talk about it. Uh, It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7, uh, many of you are familiar with that title. Because the first two verses in chapter 5 says this, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, Saying, And then what follows is over 2,300 word sermon. There are two reasons I believe this is the greatest sermon ever preached. The first reason is because of the preacher, obviously. The Word of God, as Chip introduced us to Jesus last week in John chapter 1 as the Word of God, the Word of God is speaking the words of God. Now, you may hear a sermon at any given point at King's Cross, and you may say, well, I'm not so sure if that really applies to me. Well, you can't say that about one of Jesus' sermons, Okay. So it's going to apply to you. Because of the preacher, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. And also because of the content. I was speaking with Rob Stone last Sunday, and we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, that's what we're going to be talking about this next Sunday. And he had commented how dense the text was in Matthew chapter 5-7. through seven. And you may have heard me say, I've often said before, that the Bible is shallow enough for a baby to play in but it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in. So this morning, we're just going to be swimming. Like, we don't have time to really dig into Matthew 5 through 7 like you can dig into it. To really do this text justice, it would take us years to really do a series just through the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, in 1951, psychiatrist J.T. Fisher wrote this. Listen to this. He says, if you were to take, this is a psychiatrist, if you were to take the sum of all authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified of psychologists and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene, if you were to combine them and refine them and cleave out the excess verbiage, If you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation of the Sermon on the Mount. And it would suffer immeasurably through comparison. For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian world has been holding in its hands the complete answer to its restless and fruitless yearnings. Here rests the blueprint for a successful human life with optimism, mental health, and contentment. So, in chapters uh, in chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty, we see that the underlying and overarching point of the entire Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus was the fulfillment of an authority over everything said in the Old Testament. In Exodus twenty-four, Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God and receive the law for the people. And here, Jesus goes up on a mountain as God to explain the law to the people. And this was not lost on his audience. You get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 7. It says that when Jesus was finished, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But that is not where we're going this morning. There's lots of different places we could go, but that's not where we're going this morning. This morning, what I want to do, and this is an audacious task, ta- uh, task and we, we made it through. I know you're looking at the bulletin and you're like, oh my goodness, there's no way that the greatest sermon ever preached. First of all, I know that Josh is not going to preach the greatest sermon ever preached, and there's no way that the greatest sermon ever preached can have 20 points. Like, there's just no way. Uh, so, we made it through the first service, and everybody got on the time, and you were able to come in, so we're going to be able to do it. Um, but really, w- we're not looking at 20 points here. This is what I want to do. I want to take three verses this morning, and I want to make one point. So, in a sense, this is a one-point sermon. And I want to show you 20 different ways that one point can be expressed in your life. That's what I want to do this morning. So what I encourage you to do as we read is to have your, if you have your Bible, have it open. There's no way I'm going to read the whole text. However, I will encourage you in this. Many of you have been reading uh, through Matthew 5-7 Ma- Matthew through 7 this week, and I think that's an awesome setup for this morning. But if you haven't, that's okay. Like, we're going we're gonna to hit the high spots. But what I would encourage you to do is have your Bible open so you can glance at the text Or your phone and kind of scroll through it, but then this afternoon, I would encourage you to go home while it's still fresh on your mind and actually read the Sermon on the Mount because as J.T. Fisher says, this can change your life, but these are the three verses I want to focus on. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to repeat verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So last week, John said in John 1, 9, That Jesus was the true light, which gives light to everyone, and that Jesus was coming into the world. Jesus was the true light, who gives light to everyone, and he's coming into the world. Now, Jesus is saying here, in Matthew 5, that you are the light of the world. So it seems like we have a contradiction, right? In one place we see, oh, okay, well, yeah, the Bible contradicts itself. In one book, Jesus says he's the light of the world. In another book, you're the light of the world. But there's no contradiction. So what's going on is Jesus was the true light coming into the world to give light to you by living in you so that now after he's gone, he goes to the cross, he dies, he raises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. Now that after he's gone, You and I are now the light of the world. It's a transfer of responsibility. He's no longer here in physical form, but you and I are. And now he lives in us so that we can spread light to the world. So last week we looked at who Jesus is, and this week we're going to look at what he has called us to be. And our biblical truth is the one point that we are making today. This is the one point. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. If God has called you to himself, and if you've come to an understanding that I am a sinner and I'm separated from a holy God, and the only way that I can know Jesus is not through going through a a Levitical uh, sacrificial system to where I have to kill these animals for the atonement of sins. Thankfully, Jesus now is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you make a decision to put your trust Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection so that you can know Him as Savior and Lord. If you come to a point in your life where you've made that decision, then He has most likely used some person in your life to bring you to that decision. I listen to so many testimonies when interviewing people for membership or baptism and almost a hundred percent of the time they all have some person who influenced them along their journey to become a Christian. It is people who lead people to Jesus Christ. For instance, a few Sundays ago, we baptized Lindsay uh, McElhenney. And you may remember that she said that she went on a study abroad trip and roomed with a girl named Mariel. And Lindsay writes this in her testimony. Mariel was the definition of joy. Her spirit radiated true contentment, and I was in awe of who she was and how she was. I was drawn to her and wondered how she was able to live in this light. Not much time went by before she was telling me about the good news and how she placed her faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lindsay went on to talk about the ongoing influence that Mariel had had in her life, and soon Lindsay would give her life to Christ. It was Mariel's witness and the light that she had that eventually Uh, led Lindsay to Christ. And then just last Sunday, if you're a King's Cross Covenant member and you came to our Covenant Member membership meeting and meal, you heard Tony Greco get up, who became a King's Cross Covenant member. And he got up on Sunday night at, at the meeting, and he shared that he had tried his entire childhood trying to be good enough for God. But it wasn't until a friend named Bob had shared with him that it's only through grace, through faith, that a person can know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And because of Bob's encouragement, Tony gave his life to Jesus. So Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says that people who follow Jesus are the light of the world and that there is a correlation with people who let their light shine and others coming to know God. Let me read it one more time. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And the obvious logic of this passage is that people whose light shines brighter leads more people to worship God. So this morning, I want to show you how Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew 5-7 through gives us 20 very practical ways how you can light up the world around you and thus lead many to know and worship God. You may say that, Josh, I, I love came in, coming to King's Cross and I love worshiping God and I love my community group and my grow group and uh, I love reading my Bible and uh, you know, I like serving in these particular areas, but I'm not an evangelist. Don't expect me to lead someone to Jesus. And what I'm telling you here is what Jesus is saying here is that we're all evangelists. And we all have opportunities to lead people to Jesus. And he gives us 20 ways in which you can turn up the light in your own life so that you can lead other people to Christ. So there's no blanks to fill in. I know there's a lot of verbiage on the page if you have a bulletin. What I would encourage you to do is to just listen. You don't have to take a lot of notes. not much room to take notes. But just maybe on each one of these 20 different ways, to light up the world around you, the 20 different ways to light up the world around you. If maybe you could check off or circle maybe a few, three or four or five ways in which the Lord may be convicting you or encouraging you to say, these are some ways in which I can really increase my witness with those around me by pressing into the Lord so that he can shine brighter in my life and that I can have a greater impact with those that I live, work, and play with. So, number one, we'll dive right in. The first one is, 20 ways to light up the world around you. The first one is, be fully satisfied in God. In Jesus' intro in this sermon, he says that those who are poor, mournful, meek, hungry, pure, peacemakers, and even persecuted are what? Blessed. You're like... If you don't read the rest of these verses, you're like, how in the world are those kind of people blessed? In fact, the Greek actually implies, if you look at the Greek, it implies that the word blessed means fully satisfied. So that's hard to understand until you realize that the same people will one day be comforted and receive mercy and see God and experience heaven in very deep ways. So what is the first way that you can light up the world around you? This is it. When you're faced with hard circumstances, in the middle of some of your worst nightmares, you make a decision to look to God's future promises that you can see in these first 10 or 11, 12 verses, what we know as the Beatitudes. You look at his future promises and you can find full satisfaction. And when you do so, your light starts to shine. Amy Barberia, many of you know her. She was in the first service earlier. I was actually surprised to see her here. Her mom passed away, and it was a funeral yesterday. Her mom knew Jesus, incredible woman um, of faith. She's a great example of this. Amy is grieving. You can tell that she deeply loved her mom. But when you talk to her, you can tell that she is fully satisfied in Jesus. I mean, she's just beaming because of her hope in Christ, and you can see and hear in her the light of Jesus Christ. Like, she was a witness to me. Like, she can cause you and me to worship God, let alone for those who don't know Christ to watch her and the faith that she has eventually come to know Christ. So number one, of the 20 ways to light up the world around you is be fully satisfied in God. Number two, Reconcile broken relationships. If you're a Christian, as far as it depends on you, God wants you to pursue peace with others. You can't control others, but you can control you. So in verse 23 of chapter 5, Jesus says, if you're offering a gift at the altar to the Lord and you realize that a brother or sister has something against you, leave it, go be reconciled, and come back and offer your gift. There's a couple of things about this. First of all, when you just think of something like this, it's just kind of borderline shocking because um, if I'm going to meet with the Lord, it seems like if I'm spending time with Him, that that's the most important thing I can be doing, and this is what God wants me doing above all things. But there are times where God says, Nope, I want you to leave, go get something right, straight, and then come back. The language in here is a little difficult because we don't necessarily go to the offer to offer our gifts. And I think this is where the key is. It is borderline shocking to think that we should put our time alone with God aside because he would honor or would emphasize other relationships more than even our relationship with him. But what God is saying is that broken relationships within the body of Christ become first priority even before your relationship with him. And here is why. Jesus has actually become, so when Jesus spoke this in Matthew 5, this was before the cross, but now he has become the gift offered to God. And he offered himself as that gift in order to reconcile his enemies to himself and to one another inside of his body. So when you were first seeking reconciliation with one another, you were living out the gospel for those who receive it, and all those who see it. So reconcile broken relationships. And you can do this because Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number three, as far as 20 ways to light up the world around you, attack sin before it attacks you. Jesus says that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, and throw it away. The principle here is that sin starts with the heart before it even results in action. So to keep your light from growing dim in you, you have to attack temptation outside of you before it gets in you. Now, you don't have to physically cut out your eye or cut out your hand, but you do have to cut out, and this is where you got to be aggressive, you do have to cut out what your eyes might see or what your hand might touch, or where your feet might go. And there are people, friends of mine in the past, I've got a friend of mine right now, that has made the decision to say no to smartphones and bought flip phones for this very reason. They said, there's just certain things in my life that's outside of my heart that, I mean, we're all attached to our phones, right? And if we're consuming stuff the temptation outside of you that is actually going to end up being the sin that grows within you then he says absolutely not i want to make hardcore decisions and i'm going to cut it out and i'll take a flip phone so i won't be tempted there and he has made a decision when he made that decision and all the people i know that have made this decision they have said that my ultimate highest priority is that the light of christ would grow within me so that it can shine through me Number four, honor marriage. Jesus speaks against divorce because the husband represents Christ and the wife represents the church. There are times when divorce is necessary, but most of the time it is not. But today, as you know, divorce is accepted and often celebrated. So when the husband or the wife, it's kind of easy when both the husband and the wife does it. But it's a little tough when it's just the husband or the wife decides to give up his or her rights with one another when it doesn't make sense because they're maybe going through a difficult time in marriage, the gospel shines extremely bright. The husband represents Christ and the wife represents the church. Now, you may say, I'm not an evangelist. But if you, with the power of Jesus in you and according to Jesus, do marriage right, during the hard times, and give Jesus the credit, you're an evangelist. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number five, keep your word. Jesus says not to take oaths and simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. People who have to say, I promise or I swear, uh, it's not 100% of the time, but it seems like they're, they're implying that they don't always <laughs> tell the truth. So I'm promising this time or I swear this time. So to be known as someone who always tells the truth. Even when the truth, telling the truth doesn't benefit you is foreign to most people and it stands out. It is just another crucial way to show that Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number 6, go the extra mile. Jesus says an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And this is a way uh, that the Old Testament has set it up to give justice to someone else, uh, like they had done to you. So, if someone knocked out your eye, then uh, giving justice to them was that you could knock out their eye. If someone knocked out your tooth, then you could do the same to them. Um, there's nothing wrong with do that with that because God is a just God. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, "What I want you to do is actually the opposite." I want you to take it to another level. If someone slaps you on the cheek, I want you to offer them the other cheek. If someone takes your shirt, I want you to give them your jacket. And if someone forces you to go a mile, go an extra mile. Now, I need to be clear that Jesus is not talking about physically abusive relationships. He's not talking about that. You need to get out of that. You need to talk to someone for some help. But what he is talking about is most relationships, in most relationships that you have, that you would live a life and have a posture to where your goal is to surprise the offender, whoever's offending you, whoever's against you, whoever's trying to take advantage of you, that you would surprise them with grace. So think about work. Think about your home. probably implement this a lot in your home. Think about school. How could living like this Surprising the offender with grace. Point to Jesus. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number seven, love your enemies. Jesus says in chapter five that you've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Think about this. Jesus, lo- I mean, he's a perfect example of this. And this is how this can work. It's like, man, It's really, Josh, you don't know the people. Maybe I wouldn't call them an enemy, but if you really think about it, I got some people in my life that are against me, and they're kind of, you know, um, my life would be a whole lot better if they weren't in my life, and they're tearing me down. Like, think about Jesus who died. He loved his enemies by dying for them. And while he was on the cross, he prayed for them as well. So I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. Because Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number eight, do some things in secret. Jesus says in uh, the very beginning of chapter six, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then he says in verse four, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He then applies this to prayer and fasting. So it's like, okay, this is a little... uh, I don't know. Maybe we have another contradiction here already just in the next chapter because you see in uh, verse 16 of chapter 5, Jesus says, and this is our text, right? He says that in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And now we get in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and he's kind of flipped the script. He's kind of changed what he's saying. He's, become, he says, now when you do your works of righteousness, uh, do them in secret. So what is it? Do I do it where people can see it? Or do I do it where people can't see it? How do I let my light shine? Secrecy is not the point. The point is this phrase here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The phrase, in order to be seen by others, that's the point. And so this is, this is how I process it. You can't bring glory to God if you're trying to bring glory to yourself. It's just impossible. The intention of your heart and what you do will either shine the light on God or it will reveal that you're just trying to put a spotlight on yourself. So everything we've talked about up until this point, you can actually do and not bring glory to God, in a sense, if you're trying to bring glory to yourself. Kind of clouds the vision. But if your intention is to bring glory to God, then that's how He gets. That's how your light shines in you to get through you so that others can see. So when you think about praying and fasting and uh, doing works of righteousness, the intent of your heart. Is not so others could see so you get the credit, but so others could see so God gets the credit. And this is possible, but only when you are not after the credit. So number nine, of the twenty ways in which you can light up your world around you, invest in heaven. Jesus says, Lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So people can't see your their heart. But what they can see is what you live for. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And what you live for, whether it's health and wealth or popularity or fame or fortune or whatever it is, they can tell that that's where your heart is. So when you're living for Christ, your heart will point to Christ. And Jesus lives in your heart in order to shine through you. So number 10, only look at bright objects. Only look at bright objects. uh, This is probably one of my favorites, one of my go-to passages in the Sermon on the Mount because this is something that I have to deal with every day is where is my mind at? What am I looking at? What am I listening to? And Jesus says particularly about the eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. So what does this mean, that the eye is the lamp of my body? Does this mean that Inside of me, light is shining, and you can see it piercing through my eyes. I think it's actually the opposite. I think he's saying is what you look at, and the principle here is what even what you listen to is what you are letting into your heart. And that will determine the health of your heart, and it will determine the brightness of your outgoing light. So what comes in? whatever Whatever you are looking at and listening to during the day. Your apps, your music, your entertainment, your conversations, all are major influences in how you think, how you speak, and how you act. So whatever you let into your heart, and in this analogy, he's saying the eye is the lamp of the body, so whatever you're looking at will eventually come out. So the application is look at bright objects, particularly those that point to Jesus, who wants to live in you. In order to shine through you. Number 11: be fully devoted to God. Jesus says, "No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money." First Peter 3:15 says this. Uh, Peter writes, "But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that is within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. I like to share the gospel with others, and uh, this passage has confused me uh, a little. And I'm like, I don't really know if I'm really reading this right, or maybe it doesn't work all the time. I'm not really 100% sure that all i got to do is in my heart set apart Christ as Lord, and Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and then all these people are going to come up to me and say, hey, tell me about the hope that you have within you. Usually I'm the one that have to have these three little crafty questions to get in the conversation. It's like nobody's really asking me. And then it's like this conviction, this lightning bolt hits my heart. And I have to ask myself, am I really living a life that is evident to others, that it is set apart to the Lord? And this is where the Sermon on the Mount comes into play. If you do these things by the power of Christ living in you, you really will live a life set apart from the Lord that I believe, for me and for you, that people will say, i got to know what you're about. And so right here, if you live fully devoted to the Lord in your heart, in your speech, in your actions, the people will say, give me the answer uh, for the hope that you have. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number 12, don't worry about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about your life, and do not be anxious about tomorrow, he says in the latter half of Matthew 7. And um, This is a very familiar passage for me, and I think for many of us in here, this is a very familiar passage for you. And the reason is, is because we need this so much, right? So I did some research, and I was looking up some stats, and I was trying to see what the percentage of Americans nowadays deal with anxiety and stress, and, you know, under a medical doctor for these things, and how much medication. And it's like, I just, when I was looking through this, I said, you know what? I don't know if there's a person in America today that doesn't deal with anxiety and stress like all the time. Because uh, I know that's the case in my life, and I'm assuming that's the case in your life as well. And so that's why that if you can make a decision, and you go back even to what we were talking about in the first point, regardless of what you're dealing with in your life, to say, I'm going to make a decision not to be anxious about what happened yesterday, today, and especially tomorrow, That I want to make a decision to trust in the promises of God and that he lives in me and that he loves me and he has my life uh, planned out for me and that I can trust him and I can live in his power. If I make a decision to do that, you and me will look different. The world will say there must be something different about that person and I want to know what it is. Most of the people, most of the time, choose to be anxious. So every time when you choose to trust the Jesus who lives in you, every time he will shine through you. Number 13, first deal with your own sin. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own, he says. I don't know about you, but I can be quick to evaluate someone else before inspecting myself. Can I get an amen on that? Is anybody? Yes. Me too. If this is you, you can cause a lot of light to shine simply by stopping, just making a decision. You know, a lot of these are, what can I do? This is just something like not to do. Just by simply making a decision to stop being critical where you are usually critical. So Just ask yourself, you know, where where are the places that I'm usually critical in my life? Is it in my marriage? Is it with my kids? Is it with my parents? Is it work? Is it school? Where are these places that I'm usually critical? Okay, I'm just going to try not to do that for a day. You have to lean on Jesus' power to do it. But if you can do that and ask God to help you, uh, maybe even identify where you need to make some of these personal changes, I believe 100% that Jesus will give you the power in you in order for him to shine through you. Number 14, know when to spread light somewhere else. Jesus says in verse 6 of chapter 7, in a a verse that uh, is usually misunderstood, it's a little kind of hard to understand at first glance, but this is what he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. What does that mean? I believe that the principle here is that sometimes your witness will not make any progress with some people and in some places. Sometimes your witness, no matter how bright your light is shining, will not make much progress with some people in some places. So you have to have discernment. And then try to spread your light anywhere and everywhere. So this is what you, Anywhere and everywhere, try to spread your light. But when people continually try to turn your light off, simply move on and shine somewhere else. Number 15, in all things pray. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. I've looked at this passage many times and I've tried to think, what's the difference between asking and what's the difference between seeking and what's the difference between knocking? I think all of this is talking about prayer, so why does he dissect it up like this? And I really think he's using this as emphasis to say that God is calling us to pray and to pray continually. So I think the asking and the seeking and the finding indicates constant prayer. And the more you pray, the more God will work in and through your life. In fact, John 14, 13, Jesus literally says this, Whatever you ask in my name, and again, going back, I want to read verse 16 of chapter 5 again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father as in heaven. All right, so listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father will may be glorified in the Son. So what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? If The Greek is if you pray according, if you ask according to his authority, his character, and his cause, you pray according to the will of God, he will do whatever you ask. And the reason is, it's the same reason you're trying to let your light shine, to bring glory to God the Father, is the same reason he's answering prayers Jesus answers prayer so that people will see it and glorify God. Twice this week, Mel Moore, uh, one of our members last Sunday, and my dad this weekend, he was in town this weekend, were quick to tell me about prayers that God had answered. Uh, Mel told me last Sunday, he said, You won't believe it, but uh, God healed uh, my wife Debbie's mom and just instantly, and it was incredible. And I was like, Wow. And then my dad came into town, and as soon as he walked in the door, he said, you won't believe it, this is how God answered this prayer. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. And in both of these situations, they're telling me about how God showed up and he answered, and it's causing me to bring glory to God. So you can do that even within the body of Christ. And just think about the impact that it has with those outside the body of Christ. This is how you can let your light shine. And so, and I'm, a, I'm doing it right now. As a result of these prayer requests shared, and I'm telling you, and I'm giving glory to God as well. So you can do this too. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number 16 of 20 ways to light up the world around you, treat others as if they were you. Treat others as if they were you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Y'all recognize that? What is it? Golden rule. Everybody knows it. Nobody does it. Uh <laughs> it's so hard, right? It's hard. But 24-7, 100% of the time, I love being around anyone who treats me the exact way I want to be treated. Don't you? Isn't it fun to be around people like that? Probably don't know many of them, but it's fun. If if you find one, uh, let me know. I'd like to hang out with them too. Uh, So everyone knows the golden rule, but very few people actually implement it. But if you do this constantly, consistently, Whoever you honor as much as you honor yourself may one day ask you why. And then you can tell them that the Jesus that lives in me shines through me so that I can love you as much as I love myself. Number 17. See, I told you, we're almost there. We can do it. Don't follow the crowd, Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's not ex- much explanation I need to give on this one. I mean, this is really obvious. You know this would be the case. Most of the world is going one direction away from God. How you can let your light shine is just go the other direction. And people will take notice and they will see that Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. Number 18. The 20 ways to light up the world around you is to recognize false teachers. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are many false lights which lead people astray. Maybe in pulpits on Sunday morning, it may be people who are at work trying to uh, share a false um, understanding of what it means to know God. You can increase the light around you by taking the light that you have and exposing the darkness. And you can usually discern false teachers by listening for teaching that, again, does not glorify Christ. So wherever you see that, remember, the goal of what we're trying to do is to let our light shine so that people would glorify Christ. Well, where you see people talking about God and Christ is not being glorified, you need to come in and expose that uh, with the light that is in you. Jesus lives in you in order to shine through you. All right, so Jesus saves the two most important for last. This is what he include, concludes with, and this is where we're going to end. Of the 20 ways to light up the world around you. Number 19 is make sure that Jesus knows you. Make sure that Jesus knows you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I mean, could you imagine this? You live your whole life trying to make sure that you get in, you live your whole life for this interaction, and then you get to heaven, and you hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's got to be possibly the most sobering, sobering and frightening lines in all of the Bible. This is it in my notes, but I've thought, I was thinking about um, earlier Uh, Why does he say you workers of lawlessness? Because they're doing good things, right? They're uh, prophesying and they're casting out demons and they're doing mighty works. Why does he say this is lawlessness? And I think it's because Jesus summarizes the, the Ten Commandments with the two greatest commandments, is what we call it, is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. And these people have figured out a way to do good stuff without loving God and without loving people. Because Jesus doesn't live in them in order to shine through them. And so he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." So what this is saying is that you can do a lot of things that we've talked about so far this morning. You can do a lot of these things, and you can actually not have a relationship with Jesus. So really, we get to the end this morning only to say that the most important thing is not what you know or what you do, but it's who you know and who knows you. So we're going to go to 20, and then I'll come back to that point in just a minute. 20 is dig in and build on his word as the last of the 20 ways to light up the world around you. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The best sermon in the world concludes with this. Know Jesus, Jesus, and build your life on his word. And here's how you can do this today. You know, Jesus, by not doing mighty works is what this person that's standing before Jesus in heaven claims. is Like, what about all the mighty works I do? You know, Jesus, not by doing mighty works. You know, Jesus, by recognizing that everything mentioned this morning by itself is unattainable. Jesus says in a couple of verses we actually skipped. Uh, he says in chapter 5, verse 20, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Said, oh, my goodness. I was really feeling bad when I was getting to 723, but now it's like it's got to exceed that level of righteousness, which guys were, you know, they try to keep the law pretty well. And then he says in verse uh 48 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh my goodness. Well, you first must recognize that trying to live out the sermon on the mount can be condemning and overwhelming. And I don't know if that's how you feel, but that's how you can feel when you're reading all these things that God has called us to do. And then he's saying that your righteousness has to exceed the most righteous, apparently righteous people of that day. And that only uh, God is perfect, but that you have to be perfect. and You must recognize, though, that Jesus came to fulfill the law on your behalf. So this is where I can find comfort, that even though uh, Jesus is calling us to a level of righteousness and perfection that cannot be attained, he's also saying in this Sermon on the Mount that he came to fulfill the law on my behalf by living out the law in my place, and then dying in my place and thus absorbing all of my failures. It's not your righteousness that has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's not you that has to be perfect as your heavenly Father was perfect. It's Jesus who took your place. Jesus' righteousness exceeds their righteousness, and he is the only one who is perfect. And that righteousness and that perfection will be transferred to anyone who simply trusts in Jesus As Savior and Lord so make sure that Jesus knows you and then dig in and build on his word and when you do that what was condemning and overwhelming is now freeing and motivating since Jesus would then live in you in order to shine through you let me pray Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you that your word is incredibly clear. That you look at the Old Testament, the whole thing points toward Jesus. And then you get to the Sermon on the Mount, and we see that Jesus, yes, you did come to teach, and you came to show us how we should live our lives so that our lives would shine, so that other people could come to know God, but really the ultimate purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was that you would come to fulfill the law on our behalf. And so you lived in our place and died in our place so that we could come to you, know you personally as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here this room this morning would, by the end of the day, come to know you as Lord and Savior so that they could experience, not trying to be a good person in their own power so that other people would be good person, people, but they could experience the power of Jesus Christ working in them so that you could live in them in order to shine through them so that they could truly make a difference in the world by seeing other people come to know you as Lord and Savior and give glory to you for the rest of their lives. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.